ID the Future, a podcast about evolution and intelligent design. What kinds of things can we expect from artificial intelligence? Greetings, I'm Tom Gilson, and today on ID the Future, we hear answers to that question from Robert J. Marks, director of the Walter Bradley Center for Natural and Artificial Intelligence at the Discovery Institute. He's speaking here with Discovery Institute Senior Fellow Michael Medved on the Michael Medved Show. Culture and politics. This is the Michael Medved Show. And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth. A great nation, a great day when uh, there are on the table all kinds of questions about AI. That's artificial intelligence. Why shouldn't we be able to replace all those hotshot pilots like the ones being trained in the movie Top Gun Maverick, one of the most successful movies ever made, by the way, in terms of its box office receipts? But yeah, that's uh, showing pilots doing death-defying, astonishing jobs in guiding their airplanes. Well, can't you do it better using artificial intelligence and drones? That's one question we will get to. We will also get to a question about uh, the claim that recently has attracted so much attention uh, from a former Google AI engineer named Blake Lemion, who was fired for claiming that one of their AI chatbots had achieved sentience and might even have a soul. You mean no soul over um, at Google? Uh, we will get to that as well with uh, a terrific guest who I'm very privileged to uh, welcome to the show, Robert J. Marks, who is a director of uh, a center at the Discovery Institute uh, on human intelligence and artificial intelligence and the differences thereof. He is the author of a very important and fascinating and uh, a timely new book called Non-Computable You, What You Do That Artificial Intelligence Never Will. Uh, Dr. Marks, it is uh, great to speak to you. He's, he's also a professor of electrical and computer engineering at Baylor University and a fellow of both the Institute of Electrical and Electronic Engineers and the Optical Society of America. So with that introduction, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Michael. It's good to talk to you again. It's great to speak to you. So first of all, I thought that uh, your little piece on Top Gun Maverick was particularly pertinent because you have to think about it. When you think about... uh, people not just in movies but in in real life uh, people in ukraine right now who are risking their lives wouldn't it be a, just a tremendous blessing for us to replace all the human service people who sacrifice their lives with uh, machines that could probably do every bit as uh, effective a job well, yeah, absolutely. I think that uh, with reference to the movie Top Gun, the piece I wrote said that uh, involving humans in this was kind of very 20th century. 
which I guess the the original the original um, Top Gun came out in the 20th century, but uh, they were just trying to they were just trying to repeat that uh, that same old scenario. But it turns out we have the technology now with drones. We have drones that can be controlled by uh, by pilots uh, remotely, and so they can see where they're going. And this was, for example, uh, the technology that we used to take out the General Soleimani a, a while back. Uh, we used a drone. We fired a Hellfire missile and just, you know, uh, took them out without, without any danger of human life. That's the same thing that could have happened on the mission of Maverick, uh, the Top Gun sequel. Um, bunch of advantages. One is the 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 G force. One of the big things in the movie was the G forces would black you out. Well, that's not a problem with autonomous vehicles, with drones that don't have any people on them. Uh, you can really accelerate, and as long as you don't destroy the computer, your AI is still there. Another aspect was that um, they thought that they needed to fly below where they could do GPS and things like that. Well, even with modern modern um, military, you don't need GPS. Some of the military radar uh, drones have maps on the inside. They take pictures of the terrain on the outside. They compare the pictures of the terrain with the maps, and they can go ahead and um, they can navigate without any GPS. So there's, there's a number of different aspects which lead one to believe that that the technology that was used in Maverick Top Gun was, was very ill-advised. It should have been done with the 21st century technology, with artificial intelligence, drones, and um, even autonomous killing uh, weapons. So... All of this, all of this should have been. It would have been more realistic, but I don't think it would have been as fun of a plot. Well, By the way, I, you, I, you I, certainly I, couldn't have featured Tom Cruise playing a, no. a drone, and that that's a big part of. And and just think of the movie posters. If you do it with all machines, uh, uh, basically, it all the machine movies usually end up showing some of the limitations of machines, but. One of the things that I was thinking about is in warfare, we used to be so worried, you talk about the 20th century, about a mistake uh, that leads to a nuclear apocalypse. And wouldn't uh, further use of AI and, and machines to uh, actually uh, not only fight on the battlefield, but also to uh, guide strategy and to to help um, direct the command structure, wouldn't using AI in that reduce the risk of mistake? Well, one of the things you have to be careful about, I think, is that AI is is very brittle. And one of the things that has to be uh, applied in the command field is to be able to react to situations which you've never seen before. And if you don't have those in your in your training data, and you are you are exposed to a total different scenario than you've never seen before. You won't know how to react if you're AI. It's going to take human intelligence to do that. And as far as the danger, absolutely, I think that um, I think that one of the things that needs to be done in the design of artificial intelligence is to uh, apply AI ethics. In other words, make sure that the AI that you design does exactly what it is intended to do, but does no more. And that can be done through extensive testing, domain domain expertise. You're never going to get 100%, but I think it's probably going to be like the legal system. You have to make sure that 
um, that that the operation is above and beyond any reasonable doubt, kind of in the, the same sort of level of certainty that you have in convicting a murderer or something. Uh, so I think we can borrow from there and apply these standards to some of this artificial intelligence. Uh, Blake Lemion, former Google AI engineer, says that uh, some of the machines that he's designed might have a soul. Could no. he be right? Well, you got to, you, <laughs> you know, this is something that happens in artificial intelligence and politics all the time is the use of seductive semantics. Terms are used which are not defined. He also said that the AI was sentient. Uh, it has a soul. You've got to define sentience before you begin to talk about it. And that's one of the things that AI is never going to do. It is never going to be, never, ever going to be sentient. And this can be illustrated in a number of ways. Um, gosh, Lamad's, <laughs> Lamad's claim could be deconstructed in so many ways. Let me... Um, uh, let me let, let me address it from the idea of understanding. Artificial intelligence is never going to understand what it does. Uh, it's not going to. It's not going to understand what it does. And I think in order to have sentience, you have to understand what you're doing. A number of years ago, a philosopher named John Searle made the following short little parable. He said, imagine putting me in a room, and we're going to call this the Chinese room. He called it the Chinese room because Searle neither spoke nor read Chinese. And in this room was a bunch of file cabinets. And through a little slot in the door, somebody would slip a little question in, which was written in Chinese. Searle would take the the receipt that he got and he would begin to search through the file cabinets until he had a match to the question now in the file cabinets were also the answers to the question so once Searle find the match found the match to the question he was able to find the match to the to the answer he wrote this down as best that he could in chinese and slipped it outside the door now <laughs> okay we, we we will be right back with Robert J. Marks, his new book, Non-Computable You. Coming right up on the MedVet Show. And back with uh, Dr. Robert J. Marks, who is a, a director and a senior fellow at uh, Discovery Institute. He's director of the Walter Bradley Center for Natural and Artificial Intelligence, his new book is posted at our website at michaelmedved.com. And even if you've never thought about these issues before, uh, they are fascinating, they are profound, they go to the essential question about the difference between uh, human beings and machines, uh, which is at the heart of a lot of the speculation about AI and its position in our world. The book is called non computable you and what you do that artificial intelligence never will. Uh, one of the things that uh, we do that artificial intelligence doesn't really do is uh, <laughs> come, come up sometimes to, uh, to uh, hard breaks that we have to take. You were in the middle of a great story, which was illustrated. Okay. So, again, to, to set it up again quickly and get to the punchline. Okay, a quick recap. There's a guy that doesn't speak Chinese that's in a room. He slipped little sheets of paper on which are written questions in Chinese. He's able to go around to the file cabinets and find a match to the question. He writes down the answer, and then he goes and he slips that card outside of the room. 
Now, the interesting thing is that external to that, it sure looks like whatever is happening in that room understands Chinese. But the premise, the entire foundation is that Cyril has no understanding of Chinese. And that's that's exactly what is behind these chat box, this Google chat box and uh, Lamad or however you pronounce his name. Um, that, that That's exactly what he's experiencing. He's not looking behind the curtain at what's going on. It's a number. It's a bunch of number crunching, but there's no understanding there. Haven't they used um, um and artificial intelligence to create uh, symphonies and to paint and to do other creative activities that you normally uh, would associate only with human beings. How has that worked out? Well, uh, again, one has to look at the idea of creativity. Here, here's a typical scenario. Uh, suppose that you want to generate artificial intelligence, which creates Baroque music. What you would do is you would get a bunch of bunch of works written by like Bach and Handel and such, and you would train this artificial intelligence. And guess what that artificial intelligence does in the end? It generates music that sounds Baroque. That artificial intelligence will never create music that sounds like a Wagner or a Stravinsky or anything later. If you if you want to create music written by Wagner, you'd have to generate a bunch of uh uh, training based on Wagner work. So uh, artificial intelligence can only interpolate uh, among the data that it's presented. It doesn't have the idea, it doesn't have the capability, if you will, of going outside of the box. It can only interpolate. So I would say, no, that's not creative. What do you think, uh, I mean, we were talking about warfare before and the human lives that could be spared both by more efficiency and uh, 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 less possibility of of a drastic error uh other than the field of battle and physical warfare and even more so cyber warfare what uh what kinds of human endeavors do you think artificial intelligence will work best in replacing people well i think we have to remember that ai is simply a tool it's it's not something magical. It's a tool. It's like it's like electricity. It's like thermonuclear energy. And uh, and when we use it, it can be used for good or bad, like any other tool. And so that that's something which is important to remember. And what was your question? What what can we use it for in the most positive sense? Yeah. In other words, if I for I know that there's a great deal of interest in employing AI for medical decisions for a tre oh, yeah. treating various uh, various infirmities. Well, th yeah, th th this is interesting in itself. There was a AI developed by IBM called um, Watson, and famously it won and beat people in Jeopardy, beat the world champions in the game show of Jeopardy. And so IBM thought, wow, this is really, really cool. This Watson looks through all of these files and comes up with these Jeopardy answers. Why couldn't we apply it to medicine? And I think the last time I checked, there was one paper published in biomedical literature every 30 seconds. So there's no way people can keep up with that. So let's turn Watson loose on this vast, this this vast amount of literature, and let a, let uh, people, uh, let let physicians appeal to it and give them the symptoms, and you know they're going to come back and tell them what happened. Well, it turns out that Watson was a total flop. In fact, it was employed by M.D. Anderson, and eventually it was 
it was discarded. It was discarded because of its uh, inability to really help the physicians. Now, hopefully, maybe in the future, they're going to work out some of those bugs, but the artificial intelligence really didn't didn't understand what it was doing. And I think that, um, that Watson has been almost abandoned by IBM right now because of its failure of doing this. But I do think artificial intelligence is doing some incredible things. One of the big challenges that was solved was protein folding. This has been something that people have been looking at for a long time. So I certainly don't want to give the impression artificial intelligence is impotent in any way. It is and will continue to do incredible things. As far as jobs, you mentioned about jobs. Here's the question you have to ask in jobs. Is the job that is under consideration such that it could be described by an algorithm, by a step-by-step procedure. We have artificial intelligence now, if you will, replacing toll booth attendants, travel agents, and a bunch of other things. All of, all of these positions are something where the position and the tasks that are being developed are, are being looked at are algorithmic. They're step-by-step procedures. But where you have innovation, where you have creativity, uh, you are not going to be able to use artificial intelligence to replace that. So we're going to have physicians for a long time. We're going to have uh, we're going to have we're going to have leaders. We're going to have military commanders in the field that require that require this creativity in order to to do things. The artificial intelligence isn't going to be able to touch that. What about uh, McDonald's? Uh, will we <laughs> continue to need need people flipping burgers? Okay. Well, there's the psychological question of that. You know, do you want to get a burger that without meeting anybody? Uh, yeah, I guess maybe that'd be okay. But yeah, I, I can see a totally automated AI restaurant that uh, the cooks burgers. But you know, no matter what you do, this artificial intelligence still has to have an overseer. You got to have somebody coming in there, making sure the meat is there, uh, uh, understanding the software, turning on the switch, getting the machine going. So you're always going to have a degree of of, of supervision there. Okay, uh, but yeah, I think you could get rid. Of, you could get rid of a lot of the burger flippers. Absolutely, there is much, much more in the fascinating new book, "Non-Computable You: What You Do That Artificial Intelligence Never Will." Uh, one of those things is choose to read a book for your own edification, not because you're programmed to do so. That was Robert J. Marks speaking with Michael Medved on The Michael Medved Show. We appreciate their permission to replay that audio here for you. For ID the Future, I'm Tom Gilson. Thank you for listening. Visit us at idthefuture.com and intelligentdesign.org. This program is Copyright Discovery Institute and recorded by its Center for Science and Culture.